We are in Luke. We've, we've continued with Jesus' stories. And after we're done with Luke, it'll mean we've done all four Gospels. Took us a, a, a couple of years, but that's the way it should be, I think. So Luke chapter 1, normally we don't go to Luke chapter 1 if it's not Advent. <laughs> that's, it's, it's the most popular version of the birth of Jesus, and then you, you work in some things out of Matthew. Um, Mark never brings it up, and, and neither does John, so those are your two sources. Uh, if you didn't hear from a lesson a few weeks ago, Luke was what we would today call a Renaissance man. He left pretty good record, pretty good trail in history. You know him as a physician, because that's usually how we, Luke was a physician. Yes, he was. He would have followed the teachings of Galen, uh, which is one of the first um, people to really try to scientifically do medicine. He would have uh, taken the oaths and such, and he, he would have worked very hard. And his list, we brought this up, his list of uh, things Jesus healed people from, it was poorly phrased, he separates things like epilepsy and like from demonic. He understands the difference between the physi uh, physiological or the physical and the spiritual. But Luke was more. Luke was a historian. John C. Lennox, which is an, he's an Irish mathematician. He's actually one of the top mathematicians in the world. And he is um, a consult, he, he's on, uh, he's chair of mathematics at Oxford, but also he works through Cambridge and a couple of others. He's at the same level of Stephen Hawking's, if, if that helps you, at the university level there. And John C. Lennox um, is a believer. And one thing I really appreciate about, uh, appreciate about him is when he writes a book, people can understand the book. You know, there are people who write, and I'm going, I'm not getting this, or it's too thick. John Polkinghorne, one of the greatest physicists of the last 200 years, uh, left his chair at Oxford, went and became an Episcopal priest, and then came back and took his chair again. Physics drove him to faith. But he can't describe the weather without getting so complicated that I'm lost. And I, and I do quantum physics, so I'm just going... John C. Lennox brings it down. And, and a couple of great books like God's Undertaker... Um, God and Stephen Hawkins, but he also wrote a book about Luke because it was very fashionable uh, up until the present time, and it's starting to go real quiet now, to attack Luke, saying, oh, he makes all these mistakes. But history keeps showing, oh, we found another thing. He was right. Oh, we found another thing. He was right. And now he's being looked upon as one of the greatest historians of the ancient world. So, physis, uh, um, I'm sorry, physician, um, historian, and one other thing. He was known throughout his lifetime as an artist. Doesn't make it in scripture, but it makes it all over the writings of the first and second um, generation Christians. And he, he had to be Greek then, and Luke is a Greek name, and a, a converted Jew, perhaps, or he came in after Christ and just went from Greek to Christian, you know, straight through. Yes? Yeah. 
Oh, and the, the question is, you know, what's my thoughts upon what he, maybe he used to be a Jewish slave that I, we can talk about the what ifs all day, but I, I don't really think that's going to help us here. I don't think he was Jewish at all because of his art. It, a Jew would not make a representation of any living thing. That was really one of their big rules. So you couldn't do a painting, you couldn't do a sculpture of a person or a bird. Uh, you wouldn't do a dog because those are unclean to them. So Luke, however, was known for painting people on flat surfaces, boards. Later in history, that became the tradition of the Eastern churches, the Orthodox churches, Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox. They split officially from the Roman Catholic Church in 1054. And one of the differences, there are, there are quite a few actually, one of the differences uh, between them is Roman Catholics will do a statue uh, like of Mary or of Peter or a, a 3D crucifix or something like this. Uh, and to, for it to be a crucifix, Jesus has to be on it. If he's not on it, it's a cross. Right, so um, they would do that, whereas the Eastern Church wouldn't do that. They would, everything had to be flat. There were very complicated reasons behind this, and they're not that interesting. But the flat pictures were, became known as icons and iconography. And to this day, all of the Orthodox churches, their pictures are, and it's even a flattened perspective. There's no 3D to it. And so it looks a little odd to Western eyes, but that's the way they did it. And history is pretty sure that that was Luke who started that concept. This guy could do anything. And he's going to be in and out of the story in Acts. But in Luke, he is not in the story. The book of Luke, he's not in the story. Instead, he is reporting on the story. And what makes Luke very unique is that he reports on the thoughts of people which you can only do honestly if you've interviewed them. And so as soon as we get into this, we're going to hear thoughts of major players that do not, are not recorded in Matthew or Mark, and certainly not in John. Luke went around and interviewed Mary, for example, and that will show up. A lot of people were writing, so he starts... Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Um, the old versions would say, surely believed among us. It's, it's actually a difficult phrase. It means they were real and we saw them. You know, that's about the best I could do. Just as they were handed down to us from those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. From the phrasing and the pronoun usage, it seems to, he is opting himself out of that group. He was not one of the first followers. He was not one of the first believers. He had this handed down too. But then he went and interviewed. And so it's, it's really cool that way. Um, Lee Strobel did something similar when he did the, the case for Christ. I think that his story is that he was a doubter until he went and interviewed and started looking at the evidence. And now he's written several books. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, okay, I love that, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, 
so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Is Theophilus a person or is it a general term? We have found that there were people named Theophilus, uh, carvings. That doesn't mean that this is a person. It could mean any of his readers, those of you. Theophilus means you love God, God lovers. It doesn't matter, but it's amazing how long people will fight over that. You know, either way, he's saying, I'm, I'm putting the record down for sure. And this is where we need to talk about all those others that are writing. Because there were some. I'm not talking here about what History Channel or Discovery Channel tries to do with great drama every year. At least a couple times about the lost books of the Bible. Oh, they're not lost. We know where they are. And you can read them anytime you want to. You can buy copies or you can read them online for free. They're open source. And you can even read the history of where they were found, how they were dated, why the early church didn't use them. Most of them, it's obvious. There's a gospel of Jesus that when he was a little boy, he made mud birds and threw them in the air and he became alive and flew away and amazed all of his little children. And that one of the little kids insulted him, so he struck him dead. This doesn't sound like Jesus. Jesus didn't do miracles for fun. Never did miracles to entertain himself or to feed himself or to heal himself. Always did them for others. Certainly wasn't going around striking little boys dead. There are other ones um, that are actually pretty fascinating look into history. And we're not talking here about the Apocrypha. Gospels would have come later, right? But there's enough difference to where you just shake your head and go, this doesn't seem right somehow. And the early church had a, a set list of things that they agreed to. And one was, it, is the spirit in this? Is it useful for us? Uh, does it match what we have been told by the, you know, the, the fathers of the church? So don't, don't be afraid of this. Even in the Old Testament, there were lots of books used as sources. I don't know how much you paid attention reading through the Old Testament. It'll say things like, as it says in the book of Jubilees, as it says in the book of the Kings, there are actually at least 12, most likely 17 books referenced in the Old Testament that we don't have. But that's okay. They were reference material for what we have. And what we have is what we need. And that is an act of faith and an article of faith, and I'll grant you that, but it makes sense to me. I have not read all of the other Gospels. I've read most of them. And even the Gospel of Judas that was so... Do you remember that a few years ago? Oh, the Gospel of Judas. And now nobody's talking about the Gospel of Judas. It's like, no, we never saw it. It was, it was the dating was wrong. It was nobody that I ever saw in any of the articles thought Judas really wrote it because it was too late, too isolated. There were errors in it. When we talk about errors, all right, let's say that I was going to write a murder mystery based in the first century around the time of Jesus. The opportunity for me to get things wrong is endless. Using words they wouldn't have used, expressions they wouldn't have used, referring to uh, things they would not have understood. You really, people who write historical fiction, 
they got to do so much research because they get one thing wrong. Think of the letters <laughs> their publishers get. Well, we don't have scraps of these. The Dead Sea Scrolls didn't, um, didn't show us anything new here. They, uh, in this, they showed us a lot of new stuff, but nothing to do with this. Sorry. <clears throat> Getting dry. It's starting to rain outside, though. Isn't that brilliant? Thank you, Jesus. I was, um, I was one of those that was thinking, whatever God is baking, it's done. Turn off the oven. Right? Um, he, this is written so that Luke can say, so that you will know the certainty of things. That indicates something else about Luke, which history attests to. And that is that Luke was very well regarded during his life. Very well. Who else could have written, I've written this down so that you can be absolutely sure. Except somebody who the community already trusts and already looks up to. Anything else you got on this before we go forward to the story? Because that's, that's just the foreword of the book and nobody reads the forewords. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, and there were a lot of Herods, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to a priestly division of Abijah. His, his wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Um, let's pull back here. Do we believe that Zechariah and Elizabeth never made a sin? No. Blameless doesn't mean without error. It means without... These people do not commit error willingly and refusing to repent. If, if in God's eyes you have repented, you are blameless. You have, the, in fact, there's a wonderful illustration about that running together of the wax. I think we've talked about that here, where you would do your study on a thin pan of wax and you would write your lesson. You didn't have paper, not as we do it. And the scribe would make the, the corrections and when you're ready to move on, they would hold that over the fire, the wax would run together. That running of the wax together, making the record unreadable and clean to start again, was the, is the same phrase used in scripture for your sins will be blotted out. And their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. It literally means they will be unreadable forever. And so these are good people. We're not trying to make them icons. We're, they're just, they're really good people. And it's, pretty, it's a double whammy too, isn't it, right? They're priestly family on both sides. Yes. The, uh, how do I reconcile that to, the, uh, to we have to answer to God on the judgment day? That phrase Jesus used when people were twisting his words and rejecting him. And he said, you'll have to answer if you don't go by my words. We don't really know all that's going to go on at the judgment day, frankly. Um, there are a couple of scenes in scripture where that might have been revealed, but the writer was told not to write it. You know, Dan, that happened in Daniel. It happened in the book of Revelation. Do you remember? He's recording things, and then there's something happens, and the angel says, don't write this. And then Paul was taken up, and he was probably when he was stoned and left for dead. Uh, they threw him out as a dead body, and he 
recovered. He said he was taken up, um, and he was so uncertain about things, he said there was a man <laughs> talking about himself, but he kind of removes it. Alive or dead, I know not, but he goes up and he says, and he saw things that is not lawful to speak of. And so he also was pulled back. In, in Matthew 25, I take great comfort in Jesus in Matthew 25, showing that it's all about following him and caring for people, loving people. You clothed me, you fed me, you visited me in prison. You know this passage. We don't ever see a picture of judgment that looks like a trial. In fact, what we see is Jesus saying he will recognize who's his. The mark is on them. And so stepping forward, it is not about defending your life. It is about being recognized by Jesus. And that's really cool. It's really cool. Yes, we got more hands going. By the way, Albert had to apologize. Um, those people online always love hearing from Albert. Patsy's doing really poorly. And she had a, they've, they've now confirmed that she had a minor heart attack. And I define a min minor heart attack by, as a heart attack somebody else had, right? So with our Patsy, we're always afraid. And she's had a really rough week. So he told me he needed to go home. Okay, so I'll start over here. Well, now, uh, a wonderful phrasing here. Could it be the people that have given their life to Christ, the judgment is in the journey? I think there's a lot to be said for that. I really do. Think of it this way. When, da when Abraham died... The scripture, uh, I'm sorry, let's not go to Abraham. Let's go to, let's go to Lazarus, not the guy Jesus raised, the beggar Lazarus, the rich man of Lazarus. He died and the angels carried him to, to, to Abraham's bosom. And that's before, quote, judgment day. I don't think anybody's going to be surprised on judgment day. I think that, well, except those still living, perhaps. <laughs> those that are dead are already sorted. And that we are, they already understand what's coming. There wasn't a, a period of a trial there. And Ron, was it your hand or Sue's that was up? Right. Now that, and again, there's no trial there. It's, it's all checking the record. Yes. That's right. There is. Well, we're actually going to go over this, uh, this book in the next year, Lord willing. Um, I, yeah, the answer, the, the question is, is this the truth as John saw it when he's writing it down? Absolutely, absolutely. However, at the very first of the book, he says, I put it in signs and symbols. Because if you read Revelation, there are a lot of times he has to use the words like or as unto because he's trying to describe spiritual things in physical terms. 
The one that has the hardest struggle with that, I think, is Ezekiel. If you read, just read Ezekiel chapter 1, and notice all the times he says, like unto, like, you know, as in, he was struggling to explain what he saw in the spiritual realm. But looking at that, I saw the dead, great and small, in Revelation, uh, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done. That's come back to you as recorded in the books. And remember, God removes the record of sin when you have repented, if you've been baptized into him. The sea gave up the dead. All right, everybody, and they were judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. And then verse 15, anyone whose name was not written in the book of life was found. So there are, there are records of our journey there are books. However, there's also a, boy, I hate to put it this way. I just don't know another way to put it. There's also a godly eraser which removes the record. In fact, remember, by, Paul even talks about um, love does not keep a record of wrong, which is, I think, a, we, that's been translated so different. Uh, in modern versions. Yes. Expungement. Thank you. We have a lawyer. Yes. The record has been expunged. See, my record, um, I want it expunged, burned, and everyone who knows about it banished to a small island. But that's just me. These, these people were good people. But seven they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Please remember, back in this time, infertility was always the woman's fault because they, they did not understand that there was an egg and a sperm and that both contributed. That was in the 1840s. Uh, in the 1840s, it was finally settled. Leonardo da Vinci was the first one to write, noticing that when two people of different colors and characteristics married, that their kids were a blend. Seriously? It took that long before someone picked up on this? But it, it did. And yet, um, it was still a matter of failure for the woman. And if you don't think that that is still with us, you need to, to have a look on Mother's Day at who doesn't come. Because there are young women who really wanted to be mama, and they've been trying to be mama, and they haven't had a baby or they've had miscarriages, and they feel a stigma, a sense of failure, breaks my heart. Because it's not their failure at all. It's, it's biology, and it's just the way life is. But it was in the 1840s, finally, that there was a vast conference of scientists who argued it out. Don't ever go to a vast, I'm a scientist. It's not as fun as it sounds. And it sounds dreadful. But they were between two groups, and I'm not making these terms up, the spermatist and the ovist. Yes, it was settled science in the day. But they finally then agreed that both had a contribution to making a baby. So that's why it doesn't say they were not able to conceive. This is, this is why also it said all of Abraham's descendants were in him because they felt like you were like those Russian nesting dolls, that all of your people, it's complicated. Anyway, it's not science either. 
but she was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. And that's, this is sad. They want, they want to raise kids. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, all right, I'll stop. This is not the way it was supposed to be. The, they were, oh, you can have shifts uh, of serving. By the time of Jesus, the government was deciding which group served when, and it was very much based on bribery and who was in power. By the time you got to Annas and Caiaphas, oh my goodness, the corruption was horrible. But to this day, if you go to the Temple Mount, well, you'll see a big mosque, but if you go to uh, the holy places in the Holy Land, you will see different Christian groups and Muslim groups guarding their little corner. I mean, if we even find you sweeping and your a, a brush goes on our tile, they start attacking each other. It has not been right for a very long time. Read Simon Montefiore's amazing new book, Jerusalem, a biography, and you'll, it just breaks your heart. But his division was on duty. He was a good guy. It wasn't his decision to only rotate. And they would rotate. Pharisees some, Sadducees some. Pharisees. Can you imagine the confusion if you're going there to learn about God and it's according to what teachers up that day as to what you get. It wasn't day. They, they had longer than that. He was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go to the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Um, I've had a lot of people say, what does it mean by lot? It just, it's kind of like rock, paper, scissors, or the throwing of dice, or reaching in a bag and a person with the black ball. It, it didn't matter how. There were, in many ancient cultures, they would get a stick. And they'd balance the stick. And then whoever it fell toward. To this day, I can't see any way that's fair. Because <laughs> you can manipulate that pretty well, can't you? But anyway... He goes to burn incense. What does incense mean in the Old Testament? Prayer. It's a symbol of the, of the always, the people always praying. And the book of Revelation shows up repeatedly. When the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. I would have loved to have seen this. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. Me too, if, wouldn't you? Right? I'm pretty sure they didn't look all cuddly. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. I think verses 11 through 17 are some of the most beautiful, powerful patterns verses you could find think about how you would feel you are going to have a son and he you're going to love him and he's going to love you and he's going to be a powerful man filled with the spirit of God before he's even born and then 
he's going to, he's going to go into the nation like Elijah and prepare the way of the Lord who will come right behind him and he's going to bring the families back. Turn the parents back toward their children, the disobedient back to the righteous and the wise. He's going to heal those divisions. That's, um, that's amazing. Now we don't really get much of the life of John the Baptist. We get some in Matthew and some here. A little bit in Mark. But this... This is amazing. It really is. Take a look. It just, the more you read that, the more you think, wow, I will see. I'm not a historian by any stretch. I like to read history. Um, but even, you know, I used to be a shrink back in the day before I got better. And then <laughs> went, went to get a second doctorate and something more solid. Um, when there are divisions between parents and kids, when old age is not respected, you cut yourself off from all that wisdom. You cut yourself off from all that ex- ex- those examples and those, those ways problems were solved and such. And you set up the next generation for complete failure. There's, a, there's an old song sung by the Summer Walkers. These are an ancient people of Scotland who are landless. They don't, they're, if they were in Irish, in Ireland, they'd be called travelers. And they have been landless since at least the 1600s. And we always kind of just say, well, they backed the wrong king, you know, and because you'd lose everything back then. And while they camped during the, uh, the winter in usually government housing or something like this, the summer, they would they walk, and they go around fixing fences or tending to the horses, or they're, they're your itinerant people that go along and fix things. They're not gypsies; they are um, they're the summer walkers. They uh, they also are the only ones in Scotland allowed to gather the freshwater pearls, and so they're called the fishers of the pearls. We have in our freshwater streams. By the way, if you're interested, I'm seeing several people do this. You build a four-sided box that has no bottom, and you put glass in the bottom. And then you hold it down in the rushing water so that you can see what's underneath. And the pearls that they harvest are black and red and gold and purple. They are, they're not like the white pearls that you see. They're very rare, and that's why the government has for the longest of time said only the summer walkers, and there are certain families there. My family is part of the summer walkers, so we know a lot about it. We don't normally, one of the things is they also don't talk about it, like Fight Club, but um, there you are. There's a song in there um, that is sung every summer, and it's a walking song. A lot of our songs are walking songs. There, But it, um, the chorus we'll talk about, it's all by the Shen and up by the Never and the long winding shores of Loch Marie, by Ben Hope and Ben Lor, by Stark and by Arkel. Oh, the road reaches long. Now the hot summer is here. And if you follow that, it's actually a pathway to what we call the campsites of the West, where we settle up in the northwest of Scotland to do our work. That all said, a new verse has shown up in recent years. And it talks about all that we're doing and then adds, while our youth 
look at websites and do not know the cost because they've lost the traditions. They've lost the stories. The summer walkers will be extinct within a generation or two. Just the way, it, that's the way of mankind. There's no reason to weep. But there is something lost. You know, the stories and the songs go, here, he's going to bring them together. Bring families together. And I find that, you don't, who else gets this promise? Even Jesus, as he's talking, says, there'll be a sword. Father against children. Uh, but he's, John the Baptist is, is not a cartoon. There's something really deep about him. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I love Zechariah. Don't you? Because if we were writing, you know, a holy book, we'd have been going, oh, yes, Lord, I'm here to obey. But he's going, really? You not noticed I'm old and my wife's old too? The angel said, I am Gabriel. Now, is that an answer? It really is. Angels don't tend to share names. Do you remember that? An angel comes to tell uh, this woman she's going to have a baby. He's going to be Samson. So she goes home and tells her husband. Her husband doesn't believe her. I mean, who would, right? So she brings him back out, and the angel comes back, and he even says, what's your name? And the angel says, you can't handle that. It's, it's put in holy language. My name is too great for you. You didn't share it. You don't tend to share your name because in a Semitic language, if you give your name, there's, there's a, you've really upped it. You give people power and it's, if you want me to, I can go into depth there. But the name, in many societies, even today, you're given two names, your real name and the name everybody will know. It's a secret name. Well, I am Gabriel. He says, that's, if you heard my word is my bond, back then your name was. You're putting your name at risk. Then he adds, I stand in the presence of God. <laughs> By the way, that whole do not be afraid thing, that would have had to kick back in. Stage. And I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Now, you'll be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Well, that's an interesting side effect of not believing. Okay. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away, look at this sad line, my disgrace among the people. The woman was always blamed. And that's just, that's heartbreaking. Don't know why, but I'm getting my throat's drying up <clears throat> when he needs to start teaching them. Uh, any, anything you want to talk about? The seclusion thing, that was not unusual. It... Younger people would have a hard time believing this, but you remember that when uh, Lucille Ball was pregnant, they couldn't even say the word pregnant. 
Do you remember that? That was a, no, no, no. And the Dick Van Dyke show, they slept in different beds. I used to know back in the day, they would say the first show that allowed them to be in the same bed. And the first, in fact, in the movies, they had a code that if, if two people not married to each other are on a bed, one foot of each of them has to be on the floor. Did you know that? There are a lot of those scenes where they're one foot's on the floor and they're leaning into each other. That's why. Um, but again, not able to say the word pregnant. There has always been that kind of seclusion thing. Now, in the old law, a woman was secluded for much of pregnancy as a precaution against disease. It's in, this, it's in the disease sections of Leviticus. Because as women, today, you're pregnant. You walk in, everybody's patting you, and you're shaking your hand. And if you get a cold, you can't take the medicine. You just have to suffer. And so I, I have a rule. I don't touch pregnant women. I'm, because I don't want to make them sick. I, I have to go home and wash their brethren off my hands. I shouldn't be passing this on. I have another rule. I don't pick up newborn babies. Not unless they ask me to. And then I'll go wash my hands and then come. Not the gel. The gel does work, but nobody uses it right. Do you know to kill most flu viruses, you would need to rub your hands with gel for four minutes. Nobody's doing that. Go wash your hands. So she's away, but she's not going to be alone, is she? We know that Mary's going to come be with her soon. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, I love these details. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descender of David, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. We're not going to go any further because we only have two minutes, but I want you to think about a couple of things here. One, God sees Zechariah and Elizabeth as blameless. And he sees Mary as greatly favored. He saw Daniel as highly esteemed. When, da when Daniel was so terrified, he fainted at the sight of the angel. Angel had to wake him up and get him up, saying, we don't have that kind of time. But then he said, you, don't be afraid. You are highly esteemed in heaven. That should make you feel good. When I was a boy, only the really super righteous in the Bible were highly esteemed. Jesus calls us his brothers and sisters. He highly esteems us. And that should make us respond in love. But I want you to think about this. She was highly favored of God, therefore given a job that was going to ruin her life. Because nobody's going to believe it. Her own children didn't, at least her sons, didn't believe. If you're a Roman Catholic, you believe that that word sons means cousins. I, I love my Roman Catholic friends, but I believe that that's just solidly wrong. I believe that he had brothers and sisters. Uh, in, our, in the way we call brothers and sisters. And they, uh, Jesus was the oldest, but the younger kids didn't believe Mama's story. If they didn't believe it, neither did the women in the village. So she would have had to most of her life gather 
water by herself and work by herself and not be helped by others. And that little picture we always get of Mary, almost always white, by the way, Russian Orthodox and the Greek Orthodox, and like often she's dark, which I'm going, you know, good. It looks more like a first century Jew, but anyway, but she's shiny and well-dressed. She would have had gnarled hands from having to do all of it by herself. She would have had a hard life. And at least during a good portion of this, Joseph's not there. We know he's there up until Jesus is about 12. Then he disappears. Most likely died. I think most people in history think he died. Technically, he had the right to at any time say, well, you know something, I tried to believe the story, but I don't. And if he said that, then he would be free from her and could go start another family. I just don't want to think that about him. All right, I'd rather not think the worst. I'd rather think the best. But I want you to think about being highly favored by God. God is with you. He has a job for you. Is not the world's best news. You might want to, as a way, and I'll close with this, as a way to get this in your head really well, just read the first chapter of Jeremiah. Because God comes to Jeremiah says, I've got a job and you're the man. You're going to do all this preaching and they're not going to listen to you. You cannot marry. You can't go to parties. You can't do all this other. And Jeremiah's going, I think you've got the wrong house. And God's saying, no, it's you. Because God was with Jeremiah, he had a lousy life. You cannot judge by earthly standards who God is blessing. But we will talk again in two weeks.